the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. As Christians, again, this is not a standard for the world. It's a standard for God's people who want to live life God's way and who want to honor God with their lives and their relationships and their bodies. If you're not married to someone, do not arouse them. That's what the Bible says. Now, again, somebody like, what? That's what the Bible says. Why do you think the Bible says that? Let me tell you why the Bible says it. Because God wants you to enjoy his best. And you will never be able to enjoy his best if you violate it before. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 1 Corinthians. In Pastor Gary's message today, he gives biblical guidelines for individuals in a variety of relationships. Instructions for single, married, and widowed individuals will be covered. The concepts won't match up with culture's way of thinking, but it is essential for believers who want to walk in the light. By following these rules, you will be able to enjoy the best God has planned for you. When you step away from the straight path God has outlined in the Bible, you risk stepping into sin. You can't enjoy the best God has for you if you are walking in the darkness. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 7 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. First Corinthians 7 verse 1. Now for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to marry, but since there is so much immorality, each man should have his own wife, and each woman her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife's body does not belong to her alone, but also to her husband. In the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but also to his wife. Do not deprive each other except by mutual consent and for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that all men were as I am, but each man has his own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. All right, so tonight we're going to talk about singleness, marriage, sex, and divorce. Why all the confusion? This was one of the topics they wrote to Paul about. That's the way verse 1 begins when he says, now to the matters that you wrote about. So this is an issue. The whole concept of relationships and your status in life, married, singled, 
What about sex? What about divorce? When, is God said, when, when does God say that's permissible? When not? All this stuff. Why all the confusion? Here's the reason. First of all, again, as I alluded to a moment ago, they didn't understand. Most of them did not understand God's views. So they were confused. They came out of the Roman culture, and now they're like, okay, Paul, help us understand what does God say about these issues. And the other reason that there was some confusion is because they had some conflict and some incorrect views in the church about things physical and or sensual. And basically the confusion were these two points. First, there were some in the church that said the physical doesn't matter. It's all about the spiritual, so it doesn't matter what you do with your body. Now that sounds really hyper-spiritual, doesn't it? And that's because it is. Uh, It sounds super spiritual. And these people who thought, well, you know what? The physical body doesn't really matter. It's all about the spirit. It's all about the soul. It's all about communing with God, you know? Right? Okay? And so, so because people thought that, these were the very people who were indulging in sexual immorality because they're thinking it's, it's not about the body. It's all about the spirit. God only cares about the spirit. Doesn't really matter about the body. So they were doing all kinds of things. So that's a wrong view. And then the other wrong view they had was something called asceticism back in the day. And asceticism basically was the view that your body and all its physical urges and pleasures are evil. And they actually believed in the church that even Christians who are married should not be having sex. That was a common view back in the day. Because it's the idea, it's the other extreme. It's like, well, everything physical is dirty and evil, and so you have to restrain all pleasures, all desires, all urges. Not all desires, not all pleasures of the body are evil. We understand that. God has given us some of those natural desires. And we have to understand what are right desires to act upon, what are wrong desires to not act upon. But to say that your body and all physical urges and desires are evil, that's erroneous as well. So they had bought into these things. Now, to make matters worse, there are four kinds of marriages in the Roman Empire. And so the early church didn't understand, the church in Corinth, what is an acceptable form of marriage that God would accept. Here are the four kinds of marriages that were common in the first century Roman Empire. The first is called something called the tent companionship. This is where masters arranged marriages for their slaves. And as you all know, historically, the Roman Empire was an empire that was economically sustained by slavery. And slavery was a component that led to its downfall because it's an inhumane thing. And in this particular time, in the Roman Empire, there were hundreds of thousands of slaves. And many of the slaves back in first century were Christians. So when a master would arrange a marriage with slaves and say, you're one, and now you get saved and you come into the church, you're wondering, is my marriage legit? Does God honor this? Is it okay? Second kind of marriage in the Roman Empire was something called common law marriage. We have this today. We're familiar with this in our own day. It was this, that if you lived with a woman, if you were a man, you lived with a woman, a woman who lived with a man, and you lived together for more than one year, The government saw you as married in its eyes. And you had all the rights and privileges of marriage because you had been living together and playing house for at least a year. Now, you might be interested to know that even in the United States, there are about 15 states that accept common law marriage. 
that if you are living together for at least a year or more, you have all the rights and privileges of marriage. About 15 states in the District of Columbia. Uh, Virginia is not one of them, by the way. And even more amazingly, neither is West Virginia. (laughs) But they do have a cousin cohabitation rule. (laughs) Arranged marriages. There were also arranged marriages. And this is one of the most tragic form of marriages in the first century Roman Empire. This was basically called marriage for sale. And what would happen is a father would sell his daughter into marriage because the family got under financial hardship. Isn't that terrible? But that's what you would do. And a father would sell his daughter in marriage to the highest bidder. It was all a a business transaction. That's all it was. But you had people like this coming into the church at Corinth who were wondering, is my marriage legit? My dad sold me into a marriage. And so now are we seen as married in God's eyes? And then the last form of marriage here is what we call the traditional marriage. This was a marriage that was really reserved for the nobility of Rome. It was a very sophisticated ceremony. It was sanctioned by the government. Interestingly, as part of the traditional marriage ceremony, they would exchange rings. They would have a cake. The woman would wear a veil. They would hold right hands together and exchange verbal vows. And they would even hire a DJ. (laughs) Well, they would have music, but it's the same thing. Now, when I list all those things, does that sound familiar? Because actually our common traditional wedding ceremony in our Western culture was adapted from the traditional ceremony of the Roman Empire. With a few caveats, obviously as a Christian marriage... You know, you, you incorporate scripture and it's before God and it is, you know, something that you do to honor and you're, you're being united according to the scriptural basis of marriage. But some of those components, when you ask, you know, why the exchange of rings? Why does a woman wear a veil? Why do we have a cake? Why do we have music? Those things are actually carryovers of the ancient Roman Empire and the traditional marriage ceremony. Now, you've got all four of these kinds of marriages represented in your church. You got people coming in who, A, are confused about the whole physical thing, what is okay physically and sexually and and asceticism and all that stuff. And you've got these four different kinds of marriages that have been performed. And so people are coming into your church, they got some questions. That's why all the confusion here. They are wondering things like, if you are really married, is sex okay? Because of the confusion of the, the body versus the spirit. If you got married under one of those wrong ways, should you get a divorce? That's also what they were wondering. Should we get divorced, get married the right way? If you're a Christian now and your spouse is not, is that a reason to get divorced? That's in this chapter too. They had that question. And they also wondered, maybe you just shouldn't get married at all. Maybe it's just better to be single and celibate. And that's what they were thinking as well. So Paul's going to address that. Also, So it's all in here, which is why, given all of that, that Paul starts out there, look at verse 1 again, Paul starts out by saying, now for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to marry. What? What in the world does that mean? All right, little Greek lesson, friends. You're the Wednesday night crowd. You guys like to dig it out a little bit deeper, so we got to go deeper to understand this one, because this looks really bad, doesn't it? It is good for a man not to marry. Some of you are like, what? And others of you are like, "Mm mm-hmm, I told you so, you know? (laughs) 
it's so funny. You know, the, the, the longer you're married, you kind of get into a routine of things. And at Thanksgiving, we, we commonly go around our table, and everybody says what they're thankful for. And so my wife said, okay, let's go around the table and say what we're all thankful for. And her dad, my father-in-law, pointed to my mother-in-law and said, same old thing. <laughs> it was cute. We knew it. I mean, it was just, he's thankful for his wife. We're like, do I have to say this again every Thanksgiving? So... In the NIV, which is a translation that I'm reading from, it says it is good for a man not to marry. If you have a King James Bible, who has a good King James English? Let me see you in the house. All right, it doesn't say it is good for a man not to marry. King James Bible says it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Right, you say to me, that's better? What? That sounds even worse. <laughs> Can't even touch the girl. Okay, now here's where we need to understand Greek. Because the, the word to touch in our English is the Greek word haptomei. And haptomei means to set on fire or to kindle. <laughs> Come on, baby, light my fire. You got that tune in your head? Because that's what he's saying here. What he's saying is, and this is a good answer for those of you who are single and you want to know, what's the line? Okay? If you're single and you're dating someone, you're, you're with someone in a relationship, and you want to know, what is the physical boundary? What is acceptable to God? And how far is too far? I'm going to answer it for you because Paul answers it for us right here by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 1. The answer is this. A man should not arouse a woman he is not married to. That's what that verse literally means. Do not kindle a fire in a woman you're not married to. Now, how does that help us understand where the line is? Because now you need to be brutally honest in your relationship as a single person with another person, at what point do you start to get aroused when you physically, you know, start to get together, okay? And I know people because they know that that point can be arrived at very, very quickly who have even said to me as believers, we're not even going to kiss until we get married. Now, I know some of you think that's prude, but see... The people who have often shared that story with me are people who have crossed physical boundaries in the past, and so they want to start a new one unspoiled. And they know that if they start doing anything physically, it's going to lead down that path of arousal. Before you know it, they're going to be in bed together. And so what some people, I'm not saying this has to be the boundary for you, but some people, even in their own desire to stay pure before God, have said, we're not even going to kiss before we get married. Okay, That's rare. But I applaud that as some convictions that some people have. I will say this, and I've said this to young couples who are wanting to get married and, and people who are dating together. I will say this. If you're honest, if you're really honest about at what point you start to get aroused, my opinion is, and I've never had anybody disagree with me, it has to stop at kissing because after kissing, anything else happens. And even in kissing, you have, to, you have to be careful because that can also lead to arousal. And at that point now, you're, you're heading down a path of kindling, of kindling the flame. So I don't want to be the standard bearer for you by saying, don't do this and don't do that. But I will try to tell you as best as I can that when the Bible says we are not to arouse another that we're not married to, I don't see how people can, can think that anything else physically could be acceptable beyond kissing. Touching, all that becomes arousing. And obviously anything beyond that, sex itself is, is the epitome of arousal. So 
as Christians, again, this is not a standard for the world. This is a standard for God's people who want to live life God's way and who want to honor God with their lives and their relationships and their bodies. If you're not married to someone, do not arouse them. That's what the Bible says. Now, again, some of you are like, what? That's what the Bible says. Why do you think the Bible says that? Let me tell you why the Bible says it. Because God wants you to enjoy his best. And you will never be able to enjoy his best if you violate it before. Now, I don't want to shame anybody because I know many people have crossed certain physical lines and boundaries, okay? And chapter 6, we talked about praying a prayer and asking God to forgive us and to break the bond that is created by the soul ties that happen when we physically, uh, sexually get involved with other people. Uh, But I'm simply speaking to those of you who want to start afresh or who have never uh, spoiled yourselves physically, that it is important that if you really want God's blessing in your relationship, you honor God and you do it God's way. That's the way it works. God is not a big killjoy. He wants his best for you. And we cannot rob ourselves of his best by deciding that we're just going to do it our way. That's what will happen. We'll rob ourselves of God's best. So as prude as it sounds to some, as antiquated as it sounds to some, my challenge to you if you're single and a Christian is to keep yourselves until you get married. And if you've already lost your virginity, and you've already crossed the line physically, pray and ask the Lord to forgive you and start afresh. And make a commitment that you're going to honor God with your life, your relationship, and your body. Because when we do it God's way, it goes better for us. Amen? Amen. So, oh, that was weak. Amen? Amen. Okay, because maybe more of you are married. You're like, well, whatever. Uh, Get on to the sex part. Okay, it's coming. It's coming. Relax. But this is the important thing about verse 1 there, especially in the the NIV, because it looks like it's not good to get married. No, marriage is instituted by God. It's a wonderful thing. And God has given it to us to be enjoyed in its right context. Uh, But we need to understand how to do life and relationships God's way. Now, he moves on here in chapter 7, and he's going to give counsel for the unmarried and the married. And he's going to touch on every, every kind of status in life. He's going to talk first about those who are married, and happily so. He's going to talk about those who are not married, and the inference is previously married. He's going to talk about widows slash widowers. He's going to talk about those who are married in a troubled marriage. He's going to talk about those who are married as a Christian to a non-Christian. And he's going to also talk about those who are single and have never been married. And he'll end again with a reference to widows. He's going to talk about every st- everything I just listed there. You're in one of those stages, in one of those statuses of life somewhere. You're either never married, previously married, you are happily married, or you're in a troubled marriage. Or you're married to a non-believer. And so he addresses all of this. Some of this is heavy-duty stuff, folks, but this is the, this is the stuff that, um, that makes us stronger. So here we go. He first is going to give counsel to the married between verses 3 and 7. And this passage has to do with those, really, who are happily married, but they just need to understand some guidelines and get a little counsel in regards to their marriage. And so... This is what he said again in verse 3. Back up and read verse 3 again. It says, The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. 
You know, what is, what is marital duty? If you have a King James Bible, it says, render due benevolence. <laughs> Husbands, look at your wives and say, we, can, we need to render some due benevolence. That's what we need to do. <laughs> right, what he's talking about here is that a husband or a wife should seek to sexually satisfy the other. That's what he's saying here. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife. And likewise, the wife to her husband. Do you not like the word duty? <laughs> Listen, sometimes when you say to yourself, I'm not in the mood, that still is the opportunity to please your spouse. Because once you get married, you give up the exclusive right to your own body. Once you get married, you give up the exclusive right to your own body. Say, well, I have a headache. Yeah, but after three months, you need to see a doctor. Do you know what I'm saying to you? <laughs> now, there's grace. There's grace here. Okay, and he goes on to talk about the grace. Again, verse 4, the wife's body does not belong to her alone, but also to her husband. In the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but also to his wife. Verse 5, do not deprive each other except by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer, then come together again so that what? So that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. He says, I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that all men were as I am. He's single. Paul is. It is inferred that he's been previously married. It is believed that he was married to a woman who was not a believer. And so when he became a believer, the marriage dissolved. He says, I wish that all men were as I am, but each man has his own gift from God, implying that singleness for some people actually is a gift. He says, one has this gift, another has that. And there's no indication in scriptures that Paul ever remarried. We know he had to have been married because he was a member of the Jewish ruling council of the Sanhedrin. And it was a requirement for the Sanhedrin members to be married. But now he speaks as a single man. And there's no in, in, uh, any kind of inference later in scripture that he ever remarried and he implies here that he had a gift of singleness that he was content to be single we'll talk about that a little bit more in the chapter there's some advantages to singleness he's going to talk about but he is saying here that as far as a married couple goes a husband belongs to the wife the wife belongs to the husband they have to mutually be considerate of each other's sexual needs but there's some grace here. And this is, these are the statements of grace. So what he says here is the only reasons to intentionally deprive each other sexually would be the following. And these three are what Paul says here. By mutual consent, for a limited time, and for an expressed purpose with prayer. There are some obvious legitimate needs where sometimes physical intimacy is either difficult or... Um, impossible in some circumstances and so there needs to be some mutual consent here where there's grace for each other sexuality should never be something that is demanded but it should be something that is always offered as a gift each to each other the husband to the wife the wife to the husband when he gets to the place where it's being demanded and this is your duty and let me go did you hear the pastor first Corinthians chapter 7 that's ridiculous don't do that so by mutual consent, and for a limited time though, because he says, listen, let's just be real. In the area of our sexuality, Satan can come in and tempt us. So he says, you better do it for a limited time because you open yourselves up for the potential of Satan to come in and tempt. 
Apostle Paul's message to the church in Corinth was frank and powerful. They needed to make some changes. They knew the truth of Christ because Paul had spent time planting the seeds of truth. They had begun to walk in the ways of Jesus, but they had let lies taint their steps. Those lies are common still today. Is there something you've heard from a spiritual leader that just hasn't sat right in your soul? Don't let it take root. Instead, take it to the Bible and to your Heavenly Father. Allow Him to show you what is right and what isn't, and then grow in His perfect truth and love. We're so glad you joined us today on Cornerstone Connection. Pastor Gary Hamrick will continue teaching through 1 Corinthians when you join us next time. But for now, we'd like to invite you to visit cornerstoneconnection.cc to learn more about this ministry. You'll be able to hear past teachings, connect with us on social media, and learn more about the church this program originates from. If you're in the Leesburg area, we'd love to meet you. Come visit us this Sunday at 8.30, 10, or 11.45 a.m. at Cornerstone Chapel. You'll find directions and more information on our website. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. We're excited to have you join us. Thanks for tuning in today, and we hope you'll join us again right here on Cornerstone Connection. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.